The Carmichael Dave Show. He's on the microphone when he's not on the microphone. He's playing a song, and when he's not playing a song, he's on the microphone, and then boom. With Jason Ross. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Call or text at 916-339-1140. It's the Carmichael Dave Show with Jason Ross on Sacktown Sports. We appreciate all of you joining us here on Sacktown Sports. February 29th, Leap Day. Enjoy it. Comes every four years. Do something special. Uh, Jason Ross here with you. Chris Verlott as well. Carmichael Dave out today. Uh, but every Thursday at 8 o'clock, we always enjoy checking in with the one, the only Sam Amick. No matter how we do it, and today it's going to be via the telephone. We'll miss seeing his his pretty face there on the big screen. But Sam joining us here on the Folsom Lake Honda Hotline. Good morning, Sam. How are you? Good morning, Jay. I'm doing great. Sorry for the adjustment. It's one of those uh, quasi-hectic account, uh, you know, Family mornings, so we'll make it work. Every, everything good, though? You guys out and about and on the move and just hectic stuff going on this morning? Oh, yeah. We're taking little man to school. Usually he has other means of transportation. Uh, those, those are not available today, so uh, okay. hence the adjustment. But, yes, all is good. Okay. How are you, brother? I'm doing well. I mean, I'm trying to uh, you know sort out these kings. I think this season I had someone ask me, like, what do you think is going to go on the rest of the way? I said, probably more of the same. I mean, some, some good, some bad, some head scratchers, some impressive wins. I mean, they really have – the whole grab bag of a season that the season has been good. It hasn't been great. And they're kind of in that stretch where, I mean, I, I love Sunday's win against the Clippers uh, was kind of disappointed with the heat loss last night was, was a little bit predictable, but I don't know what's your, what's your opinion overall and just, you know, kind of the, the roller coaster that has been the Sacramento Kings. No, I mean, you captured it. Well, they're just incredibly inconsistent. Um, I have again, uh-oh. I mean, on the one hand, predictable because they've done that before, but you're looking at it going, okay, you've done it quite a few times at this point, so you know the mentality should be different. You just find a way to beat a team that's down so many guys, and they still couldn't do it. You know, then I'm watching the Denver game, and admittedly, um, when they're up 11, 12, you're kind of, especially with Fox out, you're thinking, okay, there's no way they're gonna pull out of this lead, but the the speed with which they gave it up was impressive. So they are, you know, they're, they're, like you said, they're a good team. They're not scaring anybody. And in terms of what they want to accomplish, which is to not only get in the playoffs, but, but get out of the first round, you know, we can only assess the, the right here and right now, but it's, it's, you know, they don't look very strong. They don't look very, very deep, very consistent. And, and honestly, uh, they show flashes of, like extreme competitiveness, like the, the defense in that Clippers game, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and the, the Miami game when they almost came back from twenty down or whatever it was, but the flashes are just not enough to make you go, okay, this this team's in a good place. Yeah, that to me is where I mean, look, I've done this long enough, you've done it long enough, but when I saw the the last win before the All Star break, which I was really impressed by against the Nuggets, um, the the streak, the mini win streak out of the All Star break, and the win against the Clippers. Like after that when I went, all right, this is the first time I felt like maybe there is more here. Maybe they can win a playoff series uh, because we'd seen enough of the other times where you go, yeah, I, I just don't know if there is enough there to your point. And now I'm kind of in the spot, Sam, where if they – well, I think they'll be in the top ten. I think they're pretty safe there. 
but I feel like it's got to be the right matchup for them to get through, and I honestly don't know what the right matchup is for them. Well, what's funny about that, and I do agree, is that some of these teams that they've had surprising success against are have now gone on to be even more intimidating or daunting. Mm-hmm. Like OKC comes to mind. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, you know, they've showed out pretty well against the Thunder. Well, yeah. now it's like, I don't know, man. The Thunder have really found themselves and they're literally competing for the top spot in the West. Um, you know, Minnesota is a tough matchup, but the matchup's going to matter. Um, you know, the disclaimer that is, this is, I'm not going out on a limb, but I, I did think about this the other day. Either, you know, this season is so funny and this particular mix of teams is so unique as far as the parody that like, who the hell knows? They get in the first round, the mood could be bad around the team and they shock the world and they, and they win a series. But, uh, it does feel like something's missing. You know, Fox obviously has been dealing with uh, the shoulder and dealing with stuff, uh, the knee now. And, you know, he's fallen off a little bit. Uh, but I, I kind of just go back to that idea that they wanted to be a team that did kind of scare people, and they're not. And that's just, I think, a reality. Yeah, and they're going to have to look back on that, on the decisions they made, not just, you know, trade deadline, but the summer and electing to bring it back made some sense too. And, you know, they did have a good year last year, and, and some things are paralleling that. I think what maybe they didn't see coming was this truly is a year where the West is – is that daunting? I think there's been a couple times it's been framed that way, and I, I kind of pushed back the last couple of years, Sam, where I didn't think it was, at least at the bottom. I mean, there were I think there was a year the Kings were, when they didn't make it, but they were fighting for the 10 seed or trying to get in the play-in. Maybe the Spurs got there at like 33 wins. Well, that's very reachable. The Kings are already there now, and they're in eighth. And the Lakers right. and, and Warriors are above 500, and there are still people that think, hey, if everything goes right, maybe they could get out of the West. So it, it that top 10 is far more competitive this year than I think it's been in the last two to three years. hundred percent. I mean, and that you, you don't want to, you're not, you know, I'm not going to take anything away from what they did last year, but you know, they didn't, you know, you talk about scaring teams, you know, they didn't scare teams last season as much as a third seed typically would, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so that was the unique part of last year. And, and now I think about the Warriors, actually. I've been debating with people recently because the Warriors at this point have won, I think, 12 out of 15, 12 out of 16, something like that. And so you ask yourself, all right, can they get from 10 to 6? Because, you know, Steve Kerr has identified the 6 spot as a as a target. And at face value, I think, you know, when I looked at it last, it was three games, three and a half games for them to get up to 6. And that feels pretty doable. Well, the, the problem, and again, this is what is so hard for the Kings, is it's like, oh, by the way, the teams in the middle there are, are the Suns and the Pelicans and the Mavericks. <laughs> like, these are teams. Think about those three teams. Suns, if they had Bradley Beal, were literally like the latest so-called super team in terms of star power. Um, the Pelicans, you know, flawed though they might be, you got Zion, you got Brandon Ingram, you got C.J. McCollum, all this, you know, high-level talent. Um, the Mavs, of course, with Luka and Kyrie. So you're not talking about you're kind of run-of-the-mill, middle-of-the-pack teams. These are pretty dynamic teams when they're at their best. Yeah, and I think the teams, you're right, I th- that catch the most of my intention as far as intrigue about the rest of this year and going forward, I would put the Warriors, the Lakers, you mentioned the Suns, and maybe the Clippers because I feel like they're all the closest to 
it's got to be a championship or what. And I don't know what the what means, if that's a breakup or something different. Maybe it's not as drastic as that, but they're all kind of invested in that way. Do you agree with that on the Clippers, Suns, Lakers, Warriors? That And none of them may get it, but they're all kind of in that championship or bust mode. I would probably Clippers more than anybody, um, you know, because of the structure of their contracts, you know, they, they re-signed or extended Kawhi Leonard, obviously, and Paul George probably gets done. James Harden going to be a free agent. Steve Ballmer has been very antsy with these years of load management and now has his new arena coming. So the pressure there is, I think, greater than the others. The Lakers, it's funny. I mean, if no, nobody with the Lakers or LeBron himself would say this out loud, but like it just feels like they just want to con- like compete at a high level, entertain fans. Have, you know, the Lakers always need to have a star. You know, make sure LeBron finishes his career in a Laker jersey. I see that one a little bit differently in terms of title contention. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, sorry, Jay, you can probably relate here. I'm enjoying getting tailed by a fellow parent as I come <laughs> into school. Keep it's it moving. Fun. Do you mind if I get in a fight here on oh, live radio? Actually, I uh, really encourage it. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, I should air him out. Are you good? Are you on live radio? Yeah. I'm good. I'm okay. good. Um, so, who else do we got? Warriors in there. I mean, Warriors. You know, they're kind of like the Lakers. They want to talk about titles. They yeah. they just need to be a really good team. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm leaving one of them out, but you uh, know, and we said Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, I think Clippers, to me, is the only one there that, mm. that really is pushing for it. Even Suns, you know, Kevin Durant obviously isn't getting younger. Um, but, you know, they've just had so many injuries this year. They do have an excuse. We'll see if they can pull it together at the end. Um, but, again, I just go back to that, that word of, like, fear and, and scaring teams. Like, those teams have a greater capacity to, I think – intimidate the opponent right now than the Kings do yeah I'm with you on that I totally agree with that so like as you look at I I think the 10 I I feel safe that the 10 are set now what order that that's changing every night but as you look at that I mean the two at the top are kind of nice surprising stories in Minnesota and OKC and have the least amount of playoff experience the champs are right there at third the Clippers have been as good as anybody for the bulk of the year once they kind of figured it out do you have someone you're leaning to? Like, if you were to handicap this and said, "I'm going to pick this team to to get out of the West," I think that's a tough call. But where where would you lean? Um, I probably got to lean, and I've been really slow on this uh, OKC because it just I can't really? wrap my head around the fact you're saying get out of the West. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. I I, I Minnesota's offense, um, you know, Jekyll and Hyde quality i guess is something that is you know eventually probably going to trip them up even though a very strong defense um you know i don't necessarily trust like a carl anthony towns to be that guy in, in moments in the playoffs when when ant is getting doubled um and they're trying to find another place to to get offense but I, okc is just incredibly balanced um and and you know last night watching their game looking at Shea Gilgis Alexander's numbers, which I knew how good they were, but there's a couple things come to mind. First of all, they compared him to Michael Jordan's first MVP year, and they basically were the same, which is just that'll get your attention. But, man, the defensive side of the ball, uh, when it comes to Shea in particular, who, as, a, as an aside, I'm having to figure out, like, man, where is he at on my MVP list? Um, you know, the guy is getting steals and getting deflections. 
he is a two-way player in every sense of the word, and they just don't seem, you know, kind of spooked by the moment at all. They, you know, Mark Dagnall quietly is, has done a, a great job coaching the last couple of years. Um, so I don't know. I just, I like what they do. I like how they function. And they just seem to be uh, wired in a certain way where, where they're not really shook by some of the acclaim that's coming their way. So, you know, top of mind, I, that would be the one that, that uh, I guess I could see a little bit. And you think about where they are, whether that comes their way or not, compared to the teams we just referenced, like the Warriors, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Suns. They are so young and so loaded with future assets. Like, they are in such a terrific place right now. Oh, it's crazy. I, I had that same thought watching that same game, and I don't know why I'm blanking on what uh, who they played last night. Um, but, yeah, it's like, man, what do you do when you could go out and trade for a star – but like I don't know, you're like if you're at the top of the West, what are you trying to accomplish? You know what I mean? Um, you probably need to see this group through. So let's say, you know, they're pretty happy with how everything's finished in the playoffs, and now you've got this cupboard full of assets. Um, that is a it's a good place to be in. It's a good problem to have, but it's tricky nonetheless because you know a lot of times you know one trade looks a certain way on paper and. And you think it's going to make you better, and, and you might actually take a step back because you messed with the chemistry or whatever uh, you know might have happened in that deal. But um, I, I can't remember ever seeing a team that was this good that was that well positioned to go out and do whatever they wanted on the trade market. Yeah, as we're talking with Sam Amick from the Athletic, and uh, might be in a fight near you. Everything good on the drop off there? We're good, buddy. We're okay. good. Okay. We're good. good. Thank you. Um, uh, you brought up the MVP race. I think this is good. It's compelling. I don't think they're – I mean, I think Jokic might be the lead, but that I could be wrong on that. Tatum, uh, SGA you mentioned. Um, this is also a good race, I think, and and maybe it, it shouldn't be decided yet. Maybe the last 22 to 25 games will be the dictator. Um, do you have a, a leader in that at this point? So, I mean, I've had Jokic. Uh, probably still have Jokic. You know, I, I think – from there, the question begins a couple things. If SGA, if the Thunder are the number one seed, mm-hmm. then I just, I think I'm going to have to look hard at that and decide, you know, in terms of impact and, and truly, and that's going to be for sure one of those where you try to get a few coaches' opinions and, you know, get outside the numbers a little bit to just uh, basically ask people if, if they think you're nuts for possibly thinking about giving it to him. Um, but, you know, I think he's more on that short list than he was before. Luca still comes to mind, depending on – I mean, the Mavs are too far down, I think, for Luca yeah. to get it. But he's having just an incredible year, uh, and, and he's so much fun to watch. And, obviously, when Kyrie's out there, they're actually functioning pretty well. Uh, Giannis is another one that I would say don't sleep on because the Bucks have gotten a little better the last couple of games. You know, small sample size, and obviously he got off to a tough start with Doc Rivers. But if they can make headway in the East and get closer to Boston, his numbers and his impact are pretty historic, pretty, you know, impactful. The Tatum one is, you know, that's a discussion in and of, in and of itself where there is part of me that, you know, we've talked before, Jay, about how this MVP calculus is so imperfect. But, there, you know, a lot of former players especially tend to, to kind of fall back on the best player, best team mm-hmm. formula. Now, it's not that simple. But, my God, Jason Tatum is pretty damn good, and he probably doesn't get as much shine as he should. And, you know, it's because he's – I think, for one, he's, he's just not the playmaker that so many of those other guys are. Um, he is a two-way player. 
he also has a, a deeper roster where you look at it and you say, okay, the gap between him and, and Jalen Brown is, is smaller than it is for a, you know, a Jokic to a Jamal Murray or a, even a Giannis to a Dame or whoever else you might want to look at. But I think Tatum's got. So uh, it's a pretty interesting race right now for sure. Yeah, that's the way. That's where I fall on Tatum. There's no doubt he's gifted. I mean, he's one of the game's greats. I I, I feel like every time I watch Boston. I think so highly of Tatum, but I have I land on the same spot. I go, man, Jalen Brown might be their best player. You know what? Derek White, where would they be without him? Porzingis is unbelievable. Oh, Holiday, what a glue. Like, it just feels like certain nights, Tatum's important in all of that, but some nights it feels like there's someone else that is equally important or better on a certain night where it shouldn't really be a punishment to Tatum, but I feel like I go there with him sometimes, and maybe that's wrong in my thinking. No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's a little bit like, you know, different caliber or at least different resume. But Anthony Edwards, uh, so far anyway, I think has got a similar problem mm-hmm. in Minnesota. Um, you know, where they've just, they're deep in the way that they're beating teams is is sophisticated enough, if that makes sense, that the credit, you know, the, if you had a, a pie graph divvying up the credit, um, there's just going to be more names on there than yeah. there would be for a lot of teams. Yeah. So, but I, you know, you, you try not to forget me, especially that like, you know, even in this like offensively crazed era, the defense does matter. And so uh, that should, you know, you, you lose Brownie points. If you're Luca um, now, Jokic is an interesting one. You lose less Brownie points than he used to. Like he is, he's become a, a plus defender and a guy that it is typically part of a really good defensive units. And, you hear other other bigs talk about, you know, Jokic and the way he's improved defensively, but he's no Joel Embiid, he's no Giannis, so you lose a few brownie points there. So both ends of the floor should be taken into account. Um, and, and in that regard, Edwards gets you know some love on that end. He's a very good, especially on-ball defender. Uh, so, but but you know with Tatum, I, there's just something about it. He's just like a, a high-level kind of one one B player yeah. uh, I think is, is how he's kind of widely perceived yeah it'd be interesting it's not the case obviously but maybe in the first 20 games of the year the way De'Aaron was playing we're talking about him at the maybe the back end of the early MVP conversation then there's been a stretch here where Sabonis has gone nuts and hey he's not the right. MVP but he's played like one where if the Kings were for example having the OKC or the Minnesota year I, I don't know you know how you would parcel out parse the difference between Fox and Sabonis. But, I mean, it's not the situation, but that could be kind of a similar argument, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I was admittedly kind of surprised uh, yesterday seeing Kendrick Perkins mm-hmm. caping for Sabonis to get some MVP love. I mean, you're not going to get it when you're you're fighting for the position right, they're in. Right, um, But I would agree with him and have been kind of vocal about this, that, that Sabonis has not gotten the credit he's deserved for his year. I mean, he's been remarkable, and some of this stuff, we don't need to overthink it when you start seeing numbers that, you know, where uh, where guys like Jokic are the only ones who have done things like Sabonis is doing this year, um, in terms of triple doubles, in terms of you know efficiency from the field, you know he's been remarkable. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like the way they function is gonna. I mean, they're gonna fight like the All Star fight every year, where it's gonna be most likely both guys don't get in from the Kings. You know, so which one do you pick is always going to be a tough question. Yeah, talking with Sam Amick here from the Athletic. You can always read Sam's amazing work there and all the stuff he's working on. Um, I'm sure this is going to be an area that's going to be featured a little bit more. You brought it up earlier about the offensively crazed era we're in. That could be fun. That could be good. But it seems like it's catching 
a little bit more attention from the league and the front office is there. Um, what would that look like? What's kind of their course correct you think they want to see in the near future, if you're getting any hints of that? I mean, I don't have a great sense just yet. You know, what comes to mind first is, is you know, do they do something different with defensive three seconds? Um, I could certainly see that being a focal point. Um, it's funny because, you know, I do think about J.J. Redick had a, a rant recently talking about how if you looked at the league's rule changes recently, the irony is that quite a few of them have been, you know, done to help the defender, um, whether it's getting rid of the Kevin Durant rip through or the Trey Young uh, kind of stutter stop in the lane where you hit the brakes and the guy runs into you. You know, these little tricks that offensive players were doing to gain the system, they've tried to litigate some of those out. So it is funny. Like they, I mean, it's probably not enough, but they've tried to, to do little things that at least made the game not appear gimmicky, uh, but they might need to do more. So does hand checking become part of the conversation again, like the old days? Um, you know, I, I don't know what it looks like, but, you know, I think that the league office, man, I would pay a lot of money. Well, that wouldn't be very ethical. I would love, <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall in the league office these days, because in the wake of all-star weekend, where it was pretty obvious that Adam Silver was not happy with the way the players handled, you know, that game. And, and that obviously symbolized the whole scoring problem. Um, you know, it seems like there, this is a tipping point where I think Adam and, and Joe Dumars, who is now kind of his right-hand man, um, and that crew, you know, with Mark Tatum and Byron Spruill and, and the entire NBA brain trust, I, that they are trying to find ways to, to put this genie back in the bottle, uh, and we'll see if they can. Mm-hmm. Sam, what about uh, you? What's catching your attention? What are some of the things uh, you're going to be working on here that we can read soon? Well, I just came out of the Warriors world. I, I enjoyed uh, writing about Clay Thompson the other day and kind of his – his adjustment to the six man life. Um, I, I, I really enjoy. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like we're in this space where there's a lot of older players um, that in terms of coverage, like I'm enjoying trying to tell a few of their stories as far as like father time kind of knock on that door and then how these guys handle it from a, a spirit standpoint, if that makes sense. So getting a chance to connect with clay and, and find out how the hell he's doing, you know, we, we sometimes I think are guilty of, of just saying, oh, this guy makes $43 million a year. Who cares? He's fine. You know, it's like, uh, it's like sports is sports. And mm-hmm. if you, you don't play like you expect to, then, you know, your your uh, your mentals are not going to be great. So I enjoyed writing that because it, it was a little bit about how Clay, you know, has had to make this adjustment and guys on the team say that he's managing okay and they actually didn't think he would. Um, so you know, I find that – not only interesting for Clay, but in the context of the Warriors, it's like it's a, I compared it to somebody like a, a game of Jenga. Like you, <laughs> like you know, Clay is one of those pieces. If if he can't handle the six man role, then that whole thing is going to come crashing down yeah. because there's this ripple effect from there. You know, with other guys ne- needing to sacrifice as well, and if they see him being selfish or worrying too much about his own stuff, then you know it's not going to work. So. The Warriors stuff is interesting. I know we got uh, what's that game Monday? We got Chicago coming into town. Yep, against the Kings. So I'll be out at that one. Um, we have our uh, we're chipping away at our our annual 
anonymous player poll that, that should come out around playoff time. So look out for that. But just a little bit of everything right now. Yeah, I always like that because there's always – I know when sometimes either it just comes out or you before it comes out, I've, I've talked to you about that, and there's always something that surprises you. That's that's always kind of fun. I don't know if you've started that, that I've gotten any of those surprises that you'd be comfortable leaking, but I, I think that's always fun to kind of really get the voice of the players and what they're thinking on some of the things you ask them. Yeah, nothing quite yet. I agree. I, I like doing it, um, and I think the fans and the readers like it a lot, and a lot of players like it. You can see their eyes kind of light up when you tell them that it's anonymous, like they can actually speak their mind. Yeah. Um, and then I'd be lying if I didn't admit, like, it's fun to do because you obviously never share who said what. Right. But you, but you learn little things about guys along the way. Like, and you don't ever forget, you know what I mean? Like, uh, just little things that might give you insight into, you know, how they see the game or how they see certain teams or certain people. Um, it's just a level of candor that that a lot of times is, is tougher for us to get to. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're just getting started. It's a staff-wide thing. Um, it's heavy lifting, man. Like, we're trying to get – I think we had 108 players last year, you know, trying to have at least a couple guys from each team. Um, so, um, hopefully that comes together pretty well. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I does anybody kind of pass on that? I mean, is, do you pretty much get – if anybody – if you ask, do you get people to participate? No, it, it can be – there's some teeth pulling sometimes. Um, okay. I mean, it's a combination of you, you try to I – mean, access is tougher than it used to be these days. So part of it is can you just organically catch a guy in a locker room or, or at a practice um, and say, hey, would you mind doing this? That works sometimes. You know, Admittedly, it, sometimes it's easier if, if PR staffs are willing to, to assist and kind of grease the wheels and, and tell their guys what the project is. Um, so it's a combo of those two things. You will definitely get guys like within the conversation or the interview who don't want to answer individual questions. And that's, that's the challenging part because some of the most interesting answers are stuff that like guys typically like, you know, one to, to highlight it is like, who's the most overrated player in the league. Yeah. Well, sometimes guys are like, Oh, I don't want to talk. You know what about somebody? Um, and it's like, admittedly, we're not necessarily trying to get you to do that, but like the media does hype certain people and we're curious what players think of like, how does that juxtapose with what players actually think about their colleagues? So it's like, when you get enough guys to give you an honest answer on a question like that, that is some of the most revealing, interesting stuff, but also some of the tougher stuff to get to. Well, I look forward to that. I always enjoy that every year. I know you enjoy the work. It's a lot of work for you on that one, but we look forward to that when that comes out. Also, everything you do there at The Athletic Sam, we truly appreciate, and your time each and every week. And uh, we're glad you stayed out of uh, any kind of altercations this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. Appreciate right. you. Thank you, Sam. Talk to you next week. Bye. All right, that's the great Sam Amick joining us here from The Athletic uh, again, we always appreciate Sam. I know it's one of our more popular segments each and every week, so thank you so much to the great Sam Amick. All right, more on the Kings and their loss. We'll recap the three in the key uh, for that game from the Kings and Nuggets, our prediction. We got one pretty stellar one right yesterday. We'll let you know what that is, who's hot and who's not. But when we come back, jump back into football, the NFL PA, kind of what Sam's working on. This was, I guess, anonymous in a sense, but the report card has been revealed, and some teams graded well, some did not. But we'll go into the head coaching grades who was at the top of the list? Who was at the bottom? We'll let you know next. 
sources and he, he just kind of tells it as it is and gets to the point. Jason Ross. He has a lot of pretty smart things to, to say. He's good at what he does. On Sacktown Sports. All right, back here on Sacktown Sports. Jason Ross here with you this morning. Chris Verlott as well. We take you till 10, and then uh, later in the uh, 9 o'clock hour, we'll have Styles and Watkins, Big Al and C-Dub in. We will get their uh, perspective on what they're going to be talking about today. We spent a lot of time about the Kings and the NBA. Really good to talk with Sam Amick. Again, anything you ever miss on all of our shows uh, you can listen to them on your own time. Whenever it's available and convenient for you, go back to sacktownsports.com or our YouTube page. And certainly when you're there, subscribe, like, get all the alerts that you're looking for. But uh, you can go back. Uh, the shows are podcast for you, and you'll be able to listen to them at your own time or any specific interviews. Uh, it's all there for you at sacktownsports.com. All right, uh, yesterday around the NFL, we mentioned earlier the owner's grades were released. This is all part of an NFL player's association survey from the players where they're basically grading all sorts of things this year something new that they added was the head coaching grades and i thought we'd reveal some of those and some interest i think the one that was interesting to me was you know you always look at the outliers who's graded the best who's graded the worst well the absolute worst grade went to the raiders head coach josh mcdaniels former raiders head coach and I really feel like there needs to be more unearthed about what was going on this season with the Raiders. Um, obviously, a complete culture change, and there was some sort of disconnect with Josh McDaniels and his players. I don't know what it was, but when you hear stories about uh, the the coaches lost the locker room, that feels like it's case study number one. The Raiders just didn't seem to – I mean, maybe they liked him personally but didn't like his coaching style or just at some point when you – Get that term, you've lost the lot. You just don't even want to hear them. You don't believe in them. A lack of leadership, and, and probably some of you out there have that in your own workforce or whoever you work for. Maybe there's a boss that you don't like, his or her style, and it just doesn't feel right. I mean, that that's that in a lot of places that can happen. But in this case, you know, to be successful in a sports situation where there's so many people trying for the the same thing and competing at the highest of level and driven people. Um, you just want someone you, you want to lockstep with and feel good about, and that usually the successful teams have the coach, coordinator, quarterback, kind of triumphant, and with both coordinators, all in communication, all feeling good, and going in, in the right direction. And when you look at the bottom of it, Josh McDaniels was rated 32nd. Uh, bad grades for Ron Rivera. These guys are out of jobs. Arthur Smith with the Falcons. Um, the surprising one near the bottom was Hall of Famer Bill Belichick. He's also out of a job. Um, did not grade very well from New England. Now you go towards the top. What Good did he gr- say about that? When who Bill Belichick? Yeah. Well, I don't really. Uh, it's on to the. Uh, I got the uh, Falcons on. So I don't really see what the point of these it's types of. It's just one person's opinion. I'm not. I'm not going to answer a question like that. Next. Um, so he, he didn't grade very well uh, near the bottom. Now near the top, you want to see where uh, Kyle Shanahan is. He did just fine. He was in the top 10. Uh, in fact, five on one of the lists here. 
Uh, the very, very top, though, Andy Reid. So we've talked about— Wait a minute. The, the guy who was the coach of the Super Bowl winners? Graded the best. Graded the best. A uh, guy who's been a very good coach wherever he's gone. But also the coach that had his owner rated the worst. That's a little bit odd. So Kansas City got rated poorly by their ownership. We'll do the teams a little bit later. But on some of the the treatment that's going to fall in line with the rest of the survey, Kansas City was able to overcome some of the things that they didn't like from their ownership and facilities and all the different things, kind of the priorities we talked about earlier that were um, decided on amongst this survey. But yet coaching right near the top, getting an A-plus, you had Andy Reid, you had um, Kevin O'Connell from the Minnesota Vikings, you had another A-plus head coach, Dan Campbell. And here's one. I don't remember what Dan Campbell received in his first year. I might have to go back and look at that. Uh, Minnesota wasn't, you know, didn't make the playoffs, so they weren't the winningest of teams. But to me, it shouldn't matter what your record is if you evaluate your coach this way. It probably helps when you win, obviously. And Dan Campbell and the Lions had their best season, but he got an A+. And to me, I don't know what you guys would look for. I know what I did when, you know, way back when, if you played any kind of youth sports into high school or a college or whatever it might be. Um, and I'm sure to the same extent of a pros is someone that you could communicate with, someone you learn from, someone that you trust, especially when you're younger. I mean, you're, you're looking at someone that could potentially be a role model, a father figure for some, right? In, in no matter what realm you're in. And, you know, coaching I'm sure has morphed over the years. And I said this the other day that I feel like, from calls or texts or different things, there's a perception that when you see someone that's really adamant or really yelling, passionate, that guy or that gal, she's coaching. He's coaching. Look at them. They're a coach. That is a way to do it. I didn't love the the yelling coach personally. I don't know about you, but I kind of like shut off when just a guy was just screaming. Yeah, I mean... I feel like I've always been pretty well self-aware of when I'm, I mean, an obvious thing, if Chris, you and I are on a team and I make a turnover and I screw it, like I've made a bad pass. I mean, that to me is different than like, if a coach yells at you for that, I made a mistake. Now, if I'm in the wrong spot, we're, we're doing a, a play or we're, we're supposed to be doing something and you're not doing it properly. That to me is where you can maybe be corrected or taught or, and I'm with you. Like, I generally would know if I made them say, and it's not a, a my bad. It's like, I'm as upset with myself. Now you yelling at me is like, yeah, that's maybe to your point, like the shutdown is like, yeah, I, I get it. I threw the ball away. Like, thanks. I don't need you to yell at me. But to me, I found it more, you want to be, uh, you want there to be teaching and coaching and helping. And I don't know if that's the, you know, I think you probably, when you're in the NFL level, when you've got that many coaches, certainly the NBA, you look at behind the Kings bench. My goodness, there's so many different coaches out there. You probably want a little sprinkling of everything. There's probably the coach, oh, man, uh, this is the coach I want to talk to. This is the coach that's going to tell it to me straight. This is the coach that's going to yell at me no matter what. This is the one that's probably going to support you and show you more love. It's probably nice to have a combination of all that. But all that being said, good grades for guys like Mike Tomlin, which I would expect. I think he would be a fun coach to play for. Shanahan did just fine. 
uh, Sean McVay. These these guys all got A's as part of this uh, player survey. Um, McDermott did well. Uh, Pete Carroll did pretty well. So, um, but that bottom of the list, oof, uh, tough down there with guys like Bill Belichick, Arthur Smith, Ron Rivera, and dead last, Josh McDaniels. All right, when we return, the Kings, lots went wrong for them yesterday. We'll look back at what we predicted in that, and we'll recap three in the key for the Kings and Nuggets. Who's hot and who's not? We'll ask that question as well as we continue here on Sacktown Sports and SacktownSports.com. What's hot? Yeah, hot. Real hot. And what's not? It's not good. Brought to you by American Energy Heating and Air, Sacramento's complete heating and cooling company, and second opinion partner. All right, it is that time to figure out those two questions. Who is hot and who is not? Hey, today, since it's leap day, why don't we start with who's hot? Um, tell me if you've heard this before. Okay. Caitlin Clark. Oh, yeah. Last night in Iowa's 8 to 60 win over Minnesota, Clark had 33 points to go along with 12 assists and 10 rebounds for her 17th triple double of her career. It was also her sixth 30 point triple double, which is the most in Division I history. She also broke the single season three point record. She now has 156 on the season. Clark broke Kansas Jayhawk legend Lynette Woodard's record of 3,649 points in a career and is now sitting at 360. 3,650 career points is just 18 points away from breaking Pete Maravich's NCAA overall scoring record. And you were telling me uh, during the break, the tickets for this weekend's game, they're playing what at Ohio state. Yes. I think they're at home against. I'm not sure. Okay. What's the uh, cheapest ticket you found? Cheapest ticket to get in is $400 from the ticket sites. The cheapest ticket to get $400. Oh, you know what? I I was wrong, Chris. It is uh, her final home game. That's okay, why. yeah. I thought they had one more week. So, yeah, it's her final regular season home game. Now, also, we had someone on the text line earlier who's like, Caitlin Clark should stay in school uh, instead of going to the WNBA. She's played four years. I think she's got a COVID eligibility year. Is that what it is? I think so. Because, I mean, she's played four full seasons. I mean, she would smash, obliterate all the records. Now, <laughs> I think college generally – is the best time of your life. Um, it's not going to be necessarily a financial windfall like it would be to leave college to go to the NBA as it is to the WNBA. I mean, after what she's done this season. I mean, her NIL deals, yeah. <laughs> she should be everywhere. And she still could be everywhere. But I, I almost wonder. Like going into the WNBA. Will she lose popularity, if that makes sense? Well, going into the WNBA, she's not going to be the best player. No, she won't. And there'll be an immediate surge of popularity because the name you're taking from what she's done at Iowa to the WNBA will be helpful and for the branding. But the WNBA is in a healthy spot right now. She won't be the best player. I think she'll be really good. Yeah. But she goes to uh, Connecticut and plays for the Sun. That'll be great. But is that going to be bigger in the scope of things, which is so weird to say, than what she's doing at Iowa? I mean, I think they're – yeah, I just can't see. And hmm. the league is good and healthy, but now you're with other, like, tal- – I mean, again, she's not – there's other talented people in women's college basketball, but she's the face of women's college basketball. Yeah. She would not be the face of the WNBA. Yeah, I guess. Unless, I mean, unless she goes in there and just starts destroying people. <laughs> I guess, but I don't – I mean, again, I don't – I think I she could go in happening. and be great, yeah. but there's been other players like that, maybe not to the same kind of college hype, but Brianna Stewart, uh, what Asia Wilson's doing for Las Vegas. I mean, there's – 
Vegas is still stacked. New York's going to be great again. Sabrina and Eskew. I mean, there's a lot of great players in the WNBA, and she would be one of them. Uh, good for her. Good for them. Um, and 400 bucks a ticket. Man, I guess it's to say I went to her final game. I mean, I don't know what her NCAA tournament games will be, but that also is one you, like every night could be your final game. You just don't know. Under this tournament. seems like a cash grab. And it seems like they will get that cash grab. All right, how about uh, who's not then? P.J. Tucker. Okay, explain. He has been scoreless in his last nine games with the Clippers and has not scored since November 14th. Woof. Oof. November 14th? November 14th. Um, Begs the question. We're in March. Or we're going to be in March. Yeah. Um, Let me see. I'm going to do some quick checking here. I know he hasn't played a ton, but I wonder how many shot attempts that is. He doesn't shoot the ball very much. So I'm trying to ask... The question basically here is, if we had the same amount of minutes played and the same amount of shot attempts, would you have a point in the, any points in the NBA? Yes. You think you would? Mm-hmm. You think you are better than P.J. Tucker? I would be able to score, and the reason why? Pump fake. Pump fake. I'm getting to the line. I might not score a basket, but I'm getting to the line. You would make your free throw? Yes. Okay. Let me see. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so the last game he did score, you're right, was November 14th. Okay, he hasn't played that many times. But let me get the shot attempts. Oh, my gosh. How many <laughs> have you looked? No. What is your guess? So is, since that November 14th game that he scored six points in a loss, he has played in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, only nine games. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you the minute totals in these games, 15, 16, 13, 22, 8, 6, 14, 5, and 11. So, in those nine games, how many shot attempts has P.J. Tucker had? Okay, I'm just going to say, like, let's just say average of three a Th- game. Three a game. So, you think so he's 27. over 27. Yeah. Okay, so if you think if you had 27 shot attempts in a nine-game stretch in the NBA and all those minutes that he played, you'd have a point in some way, shape, or form. Because I mean, because I told you, would, you I'd get to the line. Okay. What if I told you I'm going to start reading his shot attempts by game in these nine games? Zero for zero. Zero for zero. Zero for zero. Zero for two. Zero for zero. Zero for zero. Zero for zero. Zero for one. And zero for zero. He's taking three shots. Man. Three that shot like attempts. DeRozan's uh, three-point attempts. Yeah. <laughs> and zero free throws. None. Okay. Here's here's the other stat that's interesting. Here are his fouls in those games. Three, two, <laughs> two, four, two, one, two, zero, one. That also sounds like a line that I would have. <laughs> oh, I guess there's a role for everybody. But he you know, a- I had a coach that once told me it's good to know your limitations. Yeah, but I mean, he used to at least be the guy standing in the corner and shoot the open three. Now he's standing in the corner and just standing in the corner. Nobody puts P.J. Tucker in the corner. That's him in the corner. That's him in the spotlight. spotlight. What's he doing? Not shooting his eh, – never mind. Oh, boy. All right, who's hot, who's not? Wow, I would. I mean, your 27 guess probably felt low. Like three shot attempts a game? Yeah. For nine games? He's taken three. Boy, he must have really felt badly in that New Orleans game when he was 0 for 2. And then he was 0 for 1 uh, against the Kings. 
I don't even remember him playing the other night when the Kings beat him on Sunday. He had an 0 for, 0 for 1, no other stat in that game. Well, good to be P.J. Tucker, I guess. All right, let's do it. How did we do on our predictions? The Kings still lost. But how do we do on our recap of our three in the key? It was me and you, Chris, but we had bonus coverage with Big Al and C-Dub. When they came in on the show, I asked them these same questions. So we anticipated the game being involving the bench, not necessarily in the way it played out where the Kings got blown out, but we asked for bench points by the Kings versus bench points by the Nuggets. I said 48 for the Kings, 22 for the Nuggets. Chris, you said 34 for the Kings, 25 for the Nuggets. Alan Stiles said 42 and 39. And Chris Watkins said 30 and 25. It kind of became a bench game. It was 46 to 24. I almost got it right on them both. So I think I got that one closest. I missed by two on each. We then asked the battle of the big men. Nikola Jokic versus DeMontis Sabonis. We anticipated these guys getting it done in the paint. Both are always on triple-double watches in the game and any game they play. And so I don't think I'll give all of our – well, I can give our numbers. Sabonis, for me, I said 20-14-7. And, uh, and 28-10-10 and 10 for the Joker. Chris, you said 22-14-11 and 11 for Sabonis. 33-11-7 for the Joker. Allen had 16, 12, and 10 for Sabonis, 22, 11, and 9 for the Joker. And Chris had 17, 12, and 8 for Sabonis with 18, 15, and 13 for Jokic. Well, Sabonis was 13, 10, and 7. So I think the closest one there is Allen Styles. Let's see. Well, he and Chris. Actually, Chris is a little bit closer. And then on the Joker, his 14, 14, and 11, uh, the closest one there also is Chris Watkins. So he got both of those. The last one, really the most important one, the random stat. We're kind of calling our shot, Try to predict what we think was going to happen yesterday before the game even happened. I said Malik Monk would score 20 or more off the bench, part of that big scoring night. Well, Malik scored 14. Wasn't even the high bench score. By the way, a season high 18 for Chris Duarte. Uh, let's see. Big Al said Davion would score three or more three pointers. He was one of three. Chris Watkins said a half court shot would be made in the game. That did not happen. But you, Christopher Laud, said that Keegan Murray would catch a body. There's Keegan running to the rim. Oh, a stick! Big time throwdown by Keegan Murray. He wasn't going to finesse that daddy. He took it in there strong. 114 to 91. Keegan actually looked at the bench too. I don't know if somebody said something. That was, I mean, the Kings were getting killed. He was still in the game for some reason. And that highlight got better and better every time I saw it. First, I'm like, oh my goodness. Then you see the highlight, and he, I don't even remember which defender he hit, but he hit him, and it's like it made him raise up even more. And when he dunked it, I mean, he was way above the rim and kind of had a snarl to him. That You got it. You nailed it. That was nice. Yep. I knew it. My guy Keegs. Your guy Keegs. Probably the best highlight of the night. Unfortunately, I think the Kings were down by about 70 at the time. But it was nice. So Chris called the shot, got it correct on his random stat. Oh, the game. 
tomorrow. The Kings will be back in action. They will be taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves. We will have a preview of that one tomorrow. Coming up in our final hour of the show today, we will have what to watch around the NBA tonight as the Kings have the day off. Uh, we also will have crosstalk with Styles and Watkins. I'm going to tell you about what I liked the least about the game last night, and it's not the obvious, the score or the outcome. It was something else that really kind of irked me. We'll get into that. But when we come back, one final look at that NFLPA report card review, the team report cards, where did the 49ers rank amongst that on the list? We'll do that all coming up in our final hour here on Sacktown Sports.